I want you to do me a favor. Yeah, sure. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What? Let it out. I want you to hit me. Trust me. Come on. Come on. Stop trying to hit me and hit me. Hit me, baby, one more time. And now, our feature presentation. Welcome to Hit Me One More Time, the Nostalgia Reflection Podcast, where we look at the things that we loved when we were younger and ask the question, is this good? I'm David Luzader, and with me, ladies and gentlemen, I asked him not to show up with this makeup on. I asked him not to do the act. I'm hoping he won't do the accent. I tried to talk him out of it, but Nick Shermooksness is here. Nick, hello. Well, now I'm not. Oh, thank God you're not doing it. I wasn't. I was. I. I can't. I didn't. I didn't know that. Just to be. Just to get this started off. I. I thought that there was a problem with that in the movie. It seemed really forced. I didn't realize how forced it was. But we'll get to that. Yes. For what we're talking about. Hi everyone. Happy to be back. Hi David. You're okay. But I love you. Wow, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Let's. <laughs> I mean, I got nothing. We got a show here today. We do, yes, and we got a guest. We've got our first return guest. Excited to have him back on. It is the man from Wait You Haven't Seen and Let's Watch Highlander. It is TV's Travis. TV's Travis, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm glad to be back. We are glad to have you back. Now, we had you do the whole spiel last time you're here, but maybe some people now haven't listened in the meantime, so give us just a quick rundown. Wait You Haven't Seen, Let's Watch Highlander. What's what's that all about? So Wait You Haven't Seen is just uh, movie discussions, but it, it's always somebody's first time seeing the movie, whether it's my guest or me. Um, I've done 116 episodes now. Um, so uh, just enjoy talking movies and, and watching something new or showing somebody uh, a classic that they somehow missed. And then Let's Watch Highlander is... Um, Audie Norman and myself, and we're just going episode by episode through Highlander the series. We're uh, we're closing in on the end of season two, and uh, we just both love the show. So we we watch an episode, we break it down, we talk about it, and uh, at the end of the season, we give uh, little awards out for our favorite moments or least favorite moments. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then we torture ourselves with the movies. Which moment has whitest sneakers? What? Uh, that was Highlander the first movie. Nice. Yeah. Nice. An office reference, David. Okay, I, I don't know. Which is hip. It's hip. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, that show that's been reference. off the air for like a decade at this point. And yet, it apparently, is such a big deal that that uh, streaming services fight over it because they know it will bring them in right revenue. So now, before we get to the topic, on. Travis, I just have to ask. I saw you and Audie both reacted, but I just want to get the fresh take here. I'm sure you guys might have talked it on the show as well. But Henry Cavill as a possible Highlander. Uh, yeah, I am stoked. He uh, he's a big nerd anyway. Yeah. Um, he's been in three different franchises that are uh, you know Mission Impossible, Super uh, DC Extended Universe, and The Witcher. Um, he actually went on his own Instagram account after the announcement was made and talked about it and kind of confirmed it and said talked about how big of a fan he was of Highlander growing up, Mm -hmm. the show and the movies. So I'm all about it. Yeah. I mean, if you want to think like who's like a big, tough, immortal guy, my mind would immediately go to Henry Cavill. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he can grow the mustache back, and I think it would work. <laughs> Always have the mustache. Um, the mustache that has caused the world so much grief. <laughs> well, this movie yeah. has some mustaches, but no Henry Cavill, unfortunately. But it does have Steve Gutenberg, so I don't know where that washes out. But it is short circuit. After being struck by lightning, a robot called Number 5 gains human-like intelligence and sets out on a series of antic-filled adventures with Ali Sheedy and Steve Gutenberg and the rest. This is the part of the show where we share our own personal histories with the topic. Travis, you brought Short Circuit into our lives. Uh, What's your history with it? So I remember having this movie on Betamax cassette. Wow. Um, And for, for those of you that don't know what Betamax was, if you remember the, well, you might not even be old enough to remember Blu-ray versus HD DVD. That was almost <laughs> 20 years ago now. Holy cow. But Betamax was just another version of, uh, of home cassettes. And uh, we, I had this movie. See, it came out in 87. I probably saw it not long after that. It's probably 88 or so. So I was eight, you know, seven or eight years old when I saw this movie. And it just, it's so much fun. So for me, this uh, I, I watched it a ton growing up. I almost wore the tape out. I quoted it a lot. I still do quote a few things from it. I realized watching it again, some of the things that I didn't even remember were from this that I do like the whole, at the very end of it where, um, number five just yells, yo, in the car. <laughs> I do that. Like probably every third time I leave somewhere, if my window is down, I don't know. It just like, it made an indelible mark in, in me probably because of how young I was when I saw it. And the fact that it's, it's a very approachable, fun, kind of family-oriented movie. Definitely, it seemed like you were not alone in that. I saw you posted about watching this um, on Twitter, and you had a bunch of people, like, chiming in of, like, oh, man, I love this movie. You watched this movie a bunch growing up. All Like, people people have a reaction when you mention Short Circuit. Yeah, and, you know, we'll talk about how it had a sequel, which I think wasn't nearly as strong, but... um, it, the movie was enough of a hit to get a sequel and it was it, it, this movie had a good mix for me of comedy um, and like heart. And when I watch it later on, I kind of notice more things I, as you do. You, you notice more things when you get older um, mm-hmm. that keep it still pretty relevant for me in my in my brain. Uh, there are problems <laughs> to talk about, but but even those aren't nearly as bad as you would think. Um, but yeah, this is just a movie that, uh, it is very much a comfort food movie for me. As soon as I start watching this, as soon as I hear that, that eighties as hell music that Mm -hmm. starts off this movie, I'm immediately transported back to being nine, 10 years old and watching it sitting in the basement at my, uh, at the house I grew up in. All right, Nick, you and, uh, you and number five, you guys go way back. Any history with this movie whatsoever? No. Uh, I knew it existed, I think. I mean, I did know it existed. I don't know where along my life ban it came to my attention, but it like I, I don't remember seeing it as a If I did, then it was the opposite of Travis and left <laughs> zero mark. Um, but I, I really don't, I don't really think I saw it. So this was something that you know I probably saw passing the shelves on block in Blockbuster, uh, also when I worked there, FYI. So I probably passed it a lot. Um, I don't know why I brought up that little tidbit. Anyway, not important. 
Um, yeah, no history. I'm not going to drag it out. I have like no connection to this movie. Fair until enough. now. I had never seen this movie. Also, growing up, um, at some point, I had, I had learned the whole like number five is alive, like that phrase had entered. I don't know when. I think sometime in my teens, and I knew about that. I knew about this movie. I had never seen it until a couple of years ago. Um, a show. Now I'm on Movie Go Round. It's another podcast I do. But before Movie Go Round, there was Geek Cinema Society, which is the same three hosts and we did uh, Short Circuit, and that was the first time I'd ever seen the movie. Um, it's great, though, because I'm a few years removed from that, so I don't remember at all what I said about the movie back then. Um, so this is all going to be like fresh takes, because I don't know what I have or haven't said about this movie already, and we'll dive into all of that here shortly. But first, Nick, what's the world's history with Short Circuit? Well... The world's history is that Short Circuit came about after the producers on the film had distributed an educational video about robotics to colleges. Uh, they wanted to explore the idea of having humans question the concept of a living robot. Number five was designed by futurist Sid Mead, who had worked on Blade Runner and Tron with inspiration from robotic supervisor Eric Allard. Eric Allard, one of those. Uh, and as we've been sort of alluding to, um, there was some controversy with the film, maybe not necessarily in 1986, at least in the public sphere. Um, but Fisher Stevens, uh, who played the role of Ben Jebatuya, um, who Stevens, is, who is a self-declared white Jewish kid from Chicago, took on the role and had to dye his hair, uh, dark black, darken his skin and grow a beard while also adopting an East Indian accent. Apparently, no East Indian actors were available at the time. That's sarcasm, just to be, just to be clear. Um, there's probably a whole lot else going on at the, cre the creation of the movie, but those are some of the big hits. Ultimately, the film was released uh, May, 9, uh, May 9th in 1986 and grossed $40.7 million on a budget of $15 million. It was modestly more successful than other films at the time, such as Pretty in Pick. It led to a sequel, Short Circuit 2, as well as, apparently, a video game. And there's been a remake in the works for the last decade plus. And now that East Indian people actually exist, they'll probably be able to cast Ben with a real East Indian person. Maybe. Well, that or they'll just change the character and, and have it be an entirely different race. Or completely erase the character entirely. Or not <clears throat> remake this movie. But that's not something that we need to figure out. They're right. probably not remaking. Just to be clear, they apparently started this remake in like 2009, and it's been changing hands yeah. ever since then. So yeah. even if it does come to, to fruition, I imagine it'll be lost to time, ultimately. It'll be it'll be a straight-to-streaming sort of thing. We don't need to talk about any of that, though. We need to talk about Short Circuit itself, the movie, the film. I, I guess it's, I mean, it's considered a film. It's, what, like 100 minutes long? This, man, this movie... The way that it all starts is like very interesting, mostly because the robots, here's where I want to start with it. Why do they give the robots eyelids? This is what I wanted to get to. Why do the robots have, uh, like when they first pop up, when you see before number five is number five and you see the group of them, the first one like pops up there and they have the optical sensors is what I'm going to call them, which is their big round eyes. But for mm -hmm. some reason they have little flaps that come down to make them look evil. 
And all I can think is, wouldn't that obstruct the purpose of the eye? Hey, David, I have a question for you. Why do you have eyelids? That's okay. <laughs> that is a biological function. Those things are not keeping dirt and dust and cleaning out those eyes. They're just no, there to but, make them look menacing. But they are there to shield sun, uh, to give a sun shield to the eyes. So it's it's interesting that you bring that up first because you mentioned Sid Mead did uh, the design for them. And there was, I, I was reading about um, that there was some contention between Sid Mead and the director over, uh, or producers, I can't remember who, over um, the eyes on the robots. Mead wanted them to have uh, more realistic looking eyeballs to, to give something that could give emotion. Mm. And the, the director didn't want that. He wanted them to look robotic. Mm-hmm. So they came up with a compromise of these eye flaps. And what, what they wanted is they wanted everything on the robot to look practical, that it had a practical use. So these, mm-hmm. these uh, eyebrows and eyelids ended up with, you can, you can look at them as a practical use of they can shield the sun and keep the light out that isn't needed to be there, kind of like the brim of a cap. Mm-hmm. But it also allows them to then articulate all of that. And now you get you know them looking angry or they used it a lot with, jo- with uh, number five. Um, to make him look more or less threatening. So, yeah, there was actually a reason for that. I, and it's just yeah, funny that that's the first thing you noticed. I know. But it I worked for it Spider-Man does. in the Marvel Cinematic that's movies. That's true. It doesn't work. It's, it's, it's funny that you said, like, there was a disagreement between Sid Mead and, um, and the director, John, John Batham. Because it seemed like there were maybe, like, a few points along production where things shifted or changed i know austin pendleton um who plays um i don't remember the name he, he's one of he's the the leader of nova robotics mm-hmm. um he's the suit that's always like running around he said yeah, howard howard yeah he he said that the script was just heartbreaking beautiful to read and that it turned out to be a nice little slightly bland kids movie like apparently there was something he said like the the two leads, Ali Sheedy and, and Steve Gutenberg, he said were kind of like wrong for for the movie as he had come to understand it, and he thought the movie was going to be something else entirely uh, versus what actually like came out. And he said like there's nothing wrong with it with how like the thing came out. It's just like it's not what he signed up for, I guess. The vision seemed to be more of like an Oscar bait film, you know, with like a real exploration of you know awkward human socialization juxtaposed against like this robot discovering its humanity or whatever at the same time. Well, I, I will say that I somewhat agree with him in that I think Gutenberg is probably the weakest part of this movie. Um, and that's not an, it's not necessarily that Steve Gutenberg is bad. I just don't, I never bought him as like a reclusive scientist who hadn't left the lab in five right. years and couldn't remember how to drive and all that kind of like that just, I didn't buy him as that. So Ali Sheedy, I thought was fine. Um, but I can see where maybe that conceptually, like to start, this had grander ideas. And as they got going, they realized someone realized, hey, we need to make this a little more marketable and <laughs> uh, aim it more towards kids. Wouldn't it be funny and, if the robot danced? I think that's a conversation that happened <laughs> at some point. Well, John Badham is uh, one of his first movies was Saturday Night Fever. True. The director. True. So dancing is kind of a thing he does. Um, don't tell him. Don't put baby in a corner. Don't tell him dance. 
What that is? Now we're mixing our we're mixing yeah. our dancing movie metaphors. <laughs> those, those are completely separate things. John Badham also directed War Games. Now it's all starting to come together. Yeah, so, I was looking at and didn't realize some of the stuff that he had done, and now he almost exclusively does television. He hasn't made a, a feature film since like ninety seven. Yeah, that's it's interesting now. Okay, now like things are piecing together, finding out that. He was selected because he did War Games, which is like a fairly serious movie about the Cold War and mm. and technology and its role in the you know the military industrial complex. And I can see why that's the guy you would pick of like, okay, now we're going to explore a robot gaining humanity. And then at some point, yeah, the conversation was had of like, wait, no, we could we can make this a family film and. Not just have mom and dad coming on a date night. They can bring their kids and we'll up our revenue. Yeah. And there are some interesting things they poke at with the whole idea of being alive and uh, and what that means. It just never goes beyond the surface of it. Yeah, This robot has an existential crisis about death. I know. (laughs) Squash. Dead. Disassemble. Dead. Disassemble, dead. That was intense. And, I felt, I felt bad. <laughs> well, and and even subtle things like over the course of the movie, number five is uh, goes from referring to itself in the third person to first person. At first, it's number five is alive, and by the end of the movie, he's saying, "I, I am alive," and all of that. So, that's like that's something. It, it's something that you don't think about until. Uh, maybe you watch it a second time. You're like, oh, okay. There's a little, there's a little bit more in here. And then, you know, then Fisher Stevens opens his mouth and starts talking, <laughs> and you get completely thrown off by that. And and it's not his fault. And I know we want to talk about that. I don't know if you want to dive into it now. I, um, we can. I just wanted to do before we do because of what we're sure. talking about here. They 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 did one thing with him gaining humanity, not not Fisher Stevens <laughs> with number five gaining humanity that. Drives me crazy when films do. And, and this happens too with like where you'll have like animal characters that can talk where he expresses physical or I should say sexual attraction to Ali Sheedy at some point. And I'm like, that's and, and that's that's a thing that they do in other movies, like I'm saying. And I just I, when they have non-human things being interested sexually in a human woman and I'm like, don't know, don't. Although do I wonder how much of that was just that he learned almost everything he knows from television also could be true sitcoms sitcoms will rot your brain that's very true (laughs) but yeah i i know exactly what you're saying and you're right they did do that that's just a tropey thing you do in any um and it it does always kind of feel odd yeah it just feels really odd to have the non-human character be lusting over the the human character "Eh, can we not do that anymore like the cost i mean this is this is a movie that as like another bathtub scene with the female lead actress. Like, I mean, any chance they get to sort of like show her how attractive she is in some fashion or call it out. Um, you know, they, they don't, I don't know what I was trying, how I was going to end that sentence, but you know, like it, it's always in movies like this, uh, movies like this, it's always, it always comes up. Like, you know, you're the woman, you're the love interest, you're the romantically. I mean, this movie like shoehorned in basically a romantic plot that makes no sense. Like, no, it doesn't just, make any sense. It's just like, here's this. I mean, in theory, 
I get I can I can I can appreciate a story that's sort of juxtaposing this robot finding humanity um while also taking this this more personal human element of like these two socially awkward people like finding each other but as you know as I would agree with Pendleton the um you know they're both fairly attractive charismatic people that probably didn't shouldn't didn't or should not have had any problems uh and i mean like her shidi's thing is that she has like a skunk for a pet like she has all these animals like she's like the ultimate quirky animal <laughs> i don't she's even a, she's know a little manic pixie dream girl going with that like it's it's a, it's a bit ridiculous um and then and then um the guy i can't think of the actor's Steve name for some reason gutenberg you know it's like this guy never leaves his office he's like super awkward and like they have he has a conversation with with uh fisher stevens in the beginning where he's talking something about like they, what's a what's a woman or something like that and then he's like the most charismatic person in the whole film like every time he smiles you're yeah. like like damn i i feel good watching this guy smile <laughs> you know and i don't think that was the point no yeah no and that's why he just doesn't work for me also i'd like to point out that ali sheedy drives a food truck in this yes that's her job uh, she owns Stephanie's- a food truck in the mid 80s in oregon yeah and owns that house yeah stephanie's snacks um which i watched this movie with my girlfriend named stephanie and she did not like when the robot was going around going stephanie more input stephanie more stephanie (laughs) input stephanie so now i'm doing that just to like drive her crazy and we're having a great time over here that sounds like love Let's uh, let's. Oh, do you let's, have something you want to say? Let's now? talk about Ben. Okay, it came yeah. up. Let's. Yeah, I was going to. I was going to circle back around. It was a bad decision. To, to it was Fisher Stevens, 1986, and we can say like it was the times, and sure it was, but it's also like clearly, a. I mean, you don't need to have like an an overly forced caricature of an East Indian person, but ten bucks, there was at least one Indian East Indian person in existence that they could have cast. Nick, so that. it gets worse. Oh, go ahead. It gets uh, worse. Well, yeah. So you want to use it? Sounds like you have it. So go for it, David. Well, I will say at some point, uh, Fisher Stevens was fired and Bronson Pinchot was brought in for the role to replace him, who is also a white guy who was also mm-hmm. going to be playing the character as Indian. Well, and the character wasn't originally written as Indian. Uh, Fisher Stevens has said in several interviews um, that he was originally hired to just play a white grad student. And then somewhere along the line, they rewrote the script and they changed the character to ethnic is how he put it in what I read. They changed the character in order to, I guess, make it funnier was mm-hmm. somebody's idea. I'm not sure. But they did that. And then you're right. They brought in Bronson Pinchot and that didn't work out. And so they went to they, they went back to Fisher Stevens and uh, and basically asked him, can you do an Indian accent? And. The way he says it, and I, I read, there's a really great New Yorker article about, written by Aziz Ansari, where mm-hmm. he interviewed um, Fisher Stevens about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, so Aziz Ansari, one of the earlier films he saw was Short Circuit 2, and he loved the fact that there was an Indian lead in that movie. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until he was in college that he found out that, no, the lead of that movie is a white guy from Chicago. And, but he ends up interviewing him, and, and Fisher Stevens said, look, I was, I was 21. And I was a struggling actor and they asked me if I could do an Indian accent. And I said, yes. And then he went, he's like, uh, what he said, he was a very, very much a method actor at the time. So he actually spent time living with an Indian family 
Um, he had a dialect coach. He picked up and started doing yoga. Like he immersed himself in it because he didn't want to be a caricature. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to be offensive. So he really tried to pour himself into this role because at the time you're right, Nick, in that it was the eighties and, and, and Fisher Stevens has even gone on record saying, I shouldn't have had that role and I definitely wouldn't do it today. You, you couldn't cast me in that role today, but he was offered it and he went full on into it. And now looking back at it, yes, it doesn't work and it shouldn't have been that way. Right. Uh, but I, I give him credit for trying. I mean, if you're, if you're put in that position, he did the best that he could with it. And yeah. for him to, to now be like, yeah, no, it shouldn't have happened. And I feel bad that it did. But when you're a 21 year old struggling actor and it, at that point, how much of it is also on the, the directors and the, the people making the movie, not putting forth the effort to find someone right? or, the, or, or just don't rewrite the character to be Indian in the first place. Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll just be clear. I, despite all the death threats I have so far sent him, I have zero qualms <laughs> with, um, with Fisher Stevens. Uh, I, I mean, and especially the, the circumstances as you laid them out, like under that context, like I get why he made the decision to, to, to I would agree that in this case, the the onus is on the producers the director you know whoever in hollywood at the time like they saw no problem i mean this is like gods of egypt with all white people basically oh, you know like it's it's like come on guys like come on you know like yeah. no one's no one's i don't know why i'm about to go on a gods of egypt thing but like no one's crying out for this movie right like if you can't find marketable egyptian people which you probably could but yeah, if you can't like then just don't do it like find another movie to put these people in um, but they did not. In, in, anyway, we're moving back from Gods of Egypt. In Fisher, even a couple of weeks ago, um, apparently he did some interview um, where it got brought up again, and he said um, his words here were, it definitely haunts me. I still think it's a really good movie, but I would never do that part again, he admitted, and he went on to say that uh, it was a, the world was a very different place in 1986, obviously, which, which is true, and I, and I think we've laid out the circumstances where what's good no, I mean, it should, it should never have happened. We all have agreed and said on that. What's good about it now is that Fisher Stevens has that reflection of being like, yeah, nope, shouldn't have done it. And I've learned from that mistake and won't, and won't do it again. It's like, well, you know, perfect world. It didn't happen. But unfortunately, we don't live in that world. And uh, now at least he is admitted of like, he's not trying to defend it in any sort of stupid way that you see some people do with some of these yeah. things. There's also one line in the movie that would be really funny with an actual Indian actor in the role, but confused me the first time I heard it and was still confusing this time is when um, Steve Gutenberg is asking him where he's from. Where are you from anyway? Bakersfield originally. No, I mean your ancestors. Oh, damn. Pittsburgh. If that's an actual Indian actor, that line is hilarious. But with this, I'm like, wait, so in the movie... Is this person pretending to be Indian? Which was like the question that I had the first time I saw this movie. There, there are a number of his lines that are, uh, you could tell, were just written for a joke. And somebody's like, we got to work this in. I mean, the, the entire character of Scroder was named Scroder just so they could make a Scrotum joke <laughs> in the movie. Scroder also has one of the weirdest lines. If this was a... This is a unique line. New sentence never said before, will never been said since, where he said at some point, this little fart of a robot is beginning to give me the red ass. Yes. 
Oh, that, that was, was good. Scroder Scroder was uh I mean it's basically him playing the same character from Police Academy. Just an angrier and like an even oh, angrier version of that. That is the guy from Police Academy. You're yep. right. I was very confused Deep by podcast. <laughs> I was very confused by Nova Robotics. Yeah, they, apparently they have their own private army. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, if this movie were made today, uh, one of the number of changes would probably be that that would just be the the U.S. government. It wouldn't be a private institution. Yeah. They were, like, selling it to the army at the start of the movie, but then as the film goes on, like, they have helicopters and rockets and a lot of guns that they just open Uh, fire on. Uh, They open fire on this robot when civilians are standing around. Yes, and remember, they have Hueys. They're called Hueys now. Hueys. They are called Hueys, not Choppas. Choppers. Choppas. <laughs> Get to the Choppa. Get to the Hueys. Doesn't sound the same. Doesn't work. Doesn't work as well. <laughs> That's a can't do that one. Excellent. Yeah, it was. Um, I was watching it and there was something charming about Maybe I was just like totally into Gutenberg smile. I just like I noticed it every time. I don't know why. I also, for some reason, found Sheedy a bit annoying. Um, I mean, on one hand, like super caring person taking care of all these animals, you know, and defending the, the, the I mean, actually, she it took her a bit to come around to defending the robot's rights. Uh, at first, she was just like, you're not an alien. She, like, she got so mad at him for not being an alien. When <laughs> oh, she was the one who like, was like, oh, you didn't you- tell me. Like you're like you're like all the other men, you know. <laughs> like I'm, I'm calling your maker. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mind Ali Sheedy. The character wasn't um, wasn't super deeply written. Stephanie. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what? but I thought she was fine. But yeah, you're right. Like it is funny that for her to just get that upset over you know you're you're not an alien. Plus they had the dumb subplot subplot with her apparently ex boyfriend. Trying to boyfriend, trying to get her steal her dog to sell yeah. to a medical experiment lab. I mean, you want me old. to dislike a character immediately? That's perfect. That does it perfectly. Like, I already hated Frank. <laughs> he's he's so. acting like he's acting like I, I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was just trying to <laughs> kidnap your dog. Why are you getting so mad about that? I don't know, man. Maybe because you were trying to kidnap her dog. Yeah, like how dumb does he think she is? He's literally got the medical experiments can, uh, ca- dog carrier two feet right, from it's, himself. It's oh, just going to take him to the vet. <laughs> yeah, get a blank one. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was funny. And and there are some genuinely, I think, funny moments in this too. I love when Frank runs out of the house and he slips because you can tell that was an accident they just left in when he slips on the deck. But he comes around the corner and his car is in pieces in the yard. Oh, like yeah. in 45 yeah. seconds, number five has taken that car apart piece by piece and laid everything out. It's, I love that. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's a war robot. Of course he could do that. <laughs> uh, and then I have to mention, cause I wrote, I wrote myself a note and if I don't mention it now, I will forget. I had forgotten about the old couple in the truck oh, when yes. uh, number five throws the, um, the transponder into their, their groceries when they get, when they come up over the, the hill and they get stopped by the Nova private army. Uh, her, the, the wife's reaction is perfect. Did you get the grass out of the glove box? <laughs> I genuinely like, 
let that, out a, that a nice was... hearty laugh from that because I completely because you, you just don't I... expect it. I hope you took the grass out of the glove compartment. Anything wrong, officer? Yeah. No. Yeah. In this movie, especially. That, Though like... I also say the transponder is such a bad design decision. You're making a war robot that sure you're you're selling is like the ultimate in 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 warriness. I don't know why I could find the word. But you send it across enemy lines, uh, and then you know, some if someone is able to access it, they just take the transponder off, toss it away. Like it, like why did you make it detachable? Well, I mean, these were prototypes, so very true. And but and they had all sorts of peacetime uses, like making making a gin and tonic. The simplest right. they can also make rum and coke. <laughs> I mean, it that was a good uh, what was that like a Chekhov's pancake or whatever because you had like they set up that the, the, the robots can do menial tasks and then later in the movie he's trying to make pancake or it or whatever is trying to make pancakes for Sheedy and obviously you know he makes a huge mess of things because pancakes aren't martinis or whatever. Um, because it says it's put, funny because it says I'm pretty sure like you see how messy it's getting when he's like do whatever on the pancakes and then like the next scene like the camera turns back around to the room and like it's fine yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. well it's Not you know nothing. he took apart the car in 45 seconds he cleaned up the kitchen yeah this movie's so unrealistic oh, oh yeah <laughs> that that's when it really <laughs> broke down for me was that scene <laughs> that's what broke the immersion yeah I, I realize on this podcast, I start a lot of sentences with this movie, but this time it's completely relevant. This movie is the same thing happening three times, and I need to bring mm-hmm. this up. It is number five, and it, it starts when number five first escapes. So it's number five escapes, um, usually in some antic-y way. He goes on some misadventure. He meets up with Ali Sheedy all three times, is with her for about a 24 hour period they are together like during the night where he's you know he's watching tv he's learning he's reading books or he's doing a turing test with steve gutenberg and then the next morning nova shows up to try to get number five who does something to get away repeat to the literal end of the movie Mm mm-hmm yeah Yeah, again you can kind of see where they had some kernels of ideas and they just made a very simple uh simple plot that then they just ran a few times like there's act one well let's just do the same thing for act two (laughs) pretty much and And you know what why not it worked twice let's just do act three but this also here's a romance subplot that had zero build-up and suddenly and also i even just had no build-up half the time shidi is like you're a liar you're (laughs) lying to me constantly you creep Blah, blah, blah. Like 99% of the time angry at him. And then suddenly they're making out. And and she's yeah. like, she's like, I, you know, I thought I finally met a nice guy. And it's like, you had a five minute conversation. No wonder <laughs> you were with like dog thief McGee. And it was like a business <laughs> conversation. It wasn't just right. like you went on a Tinder date. And it was just like, by the way, I've got like a really sweet killer robot back at my place. You want to, you want to pick this up and go like, yeah. it, it will, you know. Yeah, she's she's not the greatest judge of human character. No, uh, I would say no. that. But she knows we animals. Had a, we had a bar fight in the third time. Uh, that's, true. that's true. He busts through the wall. I actually, there's a moment during that scene that this time around I noticed, and that is Scroder tries to choke the robot. <laughs> like he puts his hands around the robot's neck, like he's going to choke it out. <laughs> and 
It's just the dumbest thing I've ever seen, and I, I couldn't help but laugh. I also like that the bartender, who presumably has zero stake in this, just hits one of the shoulders, is like, I chose Team Robot in this fight. <laughs> like, it's, I mean, zero character. Like, the, other than like probably like the initial panning scene where like serving presumably an undercover soldier a drink, like, like zero, like no idea who. I don't even remember if they were a man or a woman. All I just remember is the person behind the bar was whacking a sh- soldier uh, in a, in the next scene. And I thought that was funny. Which you would think, because that robot just busted into their bar and is, like, causing a lot of chaos. They would want right. that robot like, out what of there. The hell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but for some reason, it, you know what? It's because number five so uh so pleasant looking. Yeah. So aff- affable. Yeah. He was designed. Absolutely. You know these military pigs in my bar. Get out. Designed after Steve Gutenberg himself. Just so charming. R- really? So yeah. Whenever number five smiled, I was also <laughs> like, damn. The robot no, I, has no mouth. I do have to say, though, that robot just looks it's it's such a fun puppet like it's such a cool looking thing still uh, apparently they were going to do a lot of stop motion was the original idea and i'm so glad that they went puppeteering this yeah. this movie walked so that wally could run oh for sure yeah i was about to say that it's kind of a shame how much they copied wally realizing <laughs> That Wally came out like 20 years later, and, but still. And somehow, Wally has a better love story than this movie. More chemistry <laughs> well, because, between Wally, Wally and got got the girl. Well, yeah. In terms well, plus, of it was given time. Yes. Yeah, so, Nick, are you like saying the, that... It was like the course of the whole movie. It wasn't just like, by the way, here's two socially awkward people. Boom. Are you saying that if Wall, if uh, number five and Ali Sheedy ended up together, that's what you wanted? That was the ultimate goal for you in the movie? They had more on-screen time together they did. And chemistry just they as good a chemistry did. As, like, as I, Bird, I mean also compared to her ex-boyfriend number five is a step up so oh, i mean like who am i to get in the way of that kemp that love you know these two kids they're in love let's just <laughs> let them have it he's like four days old the scene where <laughs> steve gutenberg when they're when he's doing the turing test and his turing test is putting some ketchup on a piece of paper and making a impromptu Rorschach design. And he gives it to number five. He's like, what does this look like? And number five, you know, rattles off a bunch of robotic stuff. And he's like, and a maple leaf. And Steve Gutenberg is like, what? What? You, right. you recognized a shape? And then yeah. he tells him terrible jokes. <laughs> oh, that joke was bad. Yeah. And I'm I'm not ragging too hard on the. I just thought it was it's amusing to kind of like dissect that part a little bit because it was like how quickly and how amazed Steve Gutenberg was from very simple actions that this robot was doing. Well, right. I think in some ways, though, you almost you almost have to transport yourself back to that time and technology and robotics at that time. We wouldn't really have even conceived of like pattern recognition in something. Because we, like, there's a scene earlier on where he's, uh, where number five is talking about the clouds and he just starts mentioning like rhinoceros and all of this. And Ali Sheedy picks up on that. Stephanie picks up on him noticing in the clouds the shapes. But computers weren't, to my knowledge, doing a whole lot of pattern recognition like that at the time. I mean, we see the interfaces. They're, they're just the, the green, green letters on a black screen uh, type computers at that point. Oh. Yeah. So when he's sending those way to messages be reasonable back, about it, Travis. Yeah, when he's sending those messages back, I, <laughs> I love how for some reason he has control over the font shape 
and yes. sighs when he's messaging them. Very that important. Was, I, I love that. Again, uh, you know, suspension of disbelief. But, oh, yeah. Oh, no. But yeah, it's, like, it's a fun little I, thing. I get the, the touring test thing that it is weird, but it, it's weird to think about through the lens of today at the time. It's the whole like robot with any kind of emotion or any kind of like abstract thought. Because mm-hmm. that's true. Yeah. That, I mean, that, again, war games going back to same director, kind of same time period. Mm-hmm. Tic-tac-toe leads to nuclear warfare. That's what I got out of that movie. That's uh, basically what I remember of it. Yeah, that sounds like uh, exactly what the movie was about. <laughs> Is there anything we haven't talked about that anybody wants to uh, bring up as we're kind of getting ready to wind down? I mean, I just want to say again, like the the puppet work and the the work on the robot itself, it's it's all Agreed. you know plastic and metal, but you feel for it, and it has no human features, mm. but they're able to give emotion out of it, yeah, uh, which is pretty impressive. And not only Johnny, uh, or I keep wanting to call him Johnny Five because that's what what he ends up going by in the sequel, um, but number five. But not just number five, the other robots he turns into three stooges. Right. Um, even had that, which was that was a, a fun scene. And that's one of those things that I remember from being a, a kid and watching this was was the three stooges moment. Um, that was good. That was amazing. So, yeah, it, it just it was fantastic work, both uh, designing the, the the robots and then the puppeteering for it. And the fact that the puppeteer for number five got to do the voice. Oh, that's fun. Because he was on set doing the voice the whole time, and it got to the point where the crew was like, they couldn't, they couldn't imagine another voice coming out of that robot, so they just cast him and let him do it. And he ended up going on to be Frank the Pug in uh, Men in Black. Oh, nice! Frank the Pug—that's a—that's a, that's a career, you know, career trajectory, uh, right there. Trajectory, upward, tra- upward trajectory. There we go. He goes Pieces from playing a robot you get them. to a dog, <laughs> to a dog, an alien dog. That's true. Well, in this one, he was playing a robot that was not an alien. But the other time, he's playing a dog that is an alien. Right. He sat down with his mom after short circuit and was like, honey, you can reach for the stars. And he did with an alien dog. <laughs> yeah. Literally. And, and I, I agree with you, Travis, that the design of the robot, the um, the doing of it, the actual like puppeteering and all that. I mean, it looks it looks good. It works really well. And it would have been if it was stop motion. I don't think people would have a love for this movie or a fond remembrance. Um, we'd be tearing into that much more where really I can only say like, obviously this thing was not functioning on its own, but it r- looked really good as it was going around. It could pick stuff up and look around. And I'm always just really impressed um, when you have something kind of that sophisticated. Yeah, it was, I want to say of the $15 million budget, they spent around a million and a half on the robot itself makes sense so and it was money well spent i mean it, that stop motion or anything else wouldn't have aged very well at all not at all um, so yeah i mean that's it's one of those where it's a definite uh you can tell when this movie was made <laughs> um for a number of reasons that we've mentioned but i i don't mind that it is very much a time capsule Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wears its time on its sleeve for sure. Well, I have got a little something here that I have oh, prepared. No. That's right. A little game we're going to play. I was, I was looking at the clock and I was like, he's kind of winding down the conversation earlier than I thought. Now I know why. Yes. 
because I have a little game. We're just gonna we're gonna play. It's fine. It's not it's not gonna take us too long. Nick, did you have anything else about Short Circuit that you didn't we we didn't mention? Robots are cool. Okay, cool. Well, speaking of robots, I don't know why. Maybe it's because I don't have a name for this either. But we're gonna call it Johnny Five Seven Five. I have written some haikus here about TV and movie robots, okay. and. Uh, we're going to have a little quiz here so you guys can buzz in and by buzz in i mean like say like ding or something <laughs> to indicate that that you are jumping in on this so for an example this will be the first not this one to be the first one this is just the example one i wrote live in future time bite my shiny metal ass alcohol makes go the answer to that ding. one right would be bender, bender. bending rodriguez ah! Yes. I was just like it was like forming in my mind and wow know. that's not even that's like that that was the most obvious one and that if you can't get that one Nick then we'll see how this game goes that's fine I'm just oh, here right. I'm just here to spend time with friends that's, that's <laughs> the only reason I'm here. Okay. well here we go number one uptight metal man your best friend a beeping can we saw you naked the tin man from from Wizard of Oz. Well, I would remind you, Nick, that you need to buzz in, but also incorrect. Damn. Travis, do you have a guess? Uptight Metal don't. Man, your best friend, a beeping can. We saw you naked. That. <sighs> nope, nothing. Well, Travis, I see behind you, you have a Star Wars poster there, so I want you to oh, feel geez. shame. Did there be a biz? Uh, yes. It's well, yeah, we're it was. I know, I know why I didn't get it. It's the uh, we saw you naked bit. That, that, that was a little bit to throw you off there. Um, yeah. But yeah, in episode worked. one. Episode one, we see him without his, his chassis. All right. Yeah. Next one. Hard to understand. Reboot made you people to chase humans through space. How much time did you spend on this, David? <laughs> a little bit of time? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, chase humans through space? Yep, that's it. A big clue. Reboot made you people too. That's also reboot, like reboot the cartoon. I, the, I, I will give no, a. No, that's where my brain went first. No, I'll give I a hint here. So this was there's th- these creatures have appeared in two different creatures. These robots have appeared in two different versions. One of them is a reboot of the previous one. So, I'll, so I, I don't I don't like I won't robots? hard to understand is for their original version and then reboot made you people too and chase humans oh, through oh, space. Oh, oh, Dane, well. Dane, uh, Travis Cylons. That's right, it's the Cylons. Ah, ah Cylons. All I've right. actually watched Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Been around since '63. One word name for you and him. Catchphrase to destroy. Dialects. Nick. Dialects. The Daleks, yes. Daleks. <laughs> I barely watched Doctor Who. That's and I and I know before people write in, I know that uh, Jodie Whittaker is the latest Doctor Who. Um, it just I, I needed it for I needed it for the syllable count. That just worked out. I right. didn't have a have a way to get that to work. Fly. Fair enough. All right. So the next one here. Fly like bird or plane. Your function was to destroy. Say you stay. I go. Ding. Travis. Iron Giant. That is right. It's a good movie. It's a very good movie. All right. This is the last one here. I only wrote a few of them. 
And Travis is currently ahead here with one point, or with by one point. Nick, will you well, tie it up? Tie. We'll find out. Head like a planet. Those doors have no right Bing. to joy. No. Radiohead song. Travis. It's Marvin, the paranoid android. That oh, is that correct. One, that, that, one, that one. Head the size of a planet. I mean, that's such a great description. <laughs> Brain the size of a planet. Well, that's all I had on those those ones there. But Travis, you are our winner. Yay! Congratulations, Travis. No, it's fine. This is how it usually goes. Except for in sync. I don't know why I won that one. Yeah, that <laughs> was an unusual one for all of us. It was because of Sephiroth, I think. Anyway, we don't need to if you want to know why I won the in sync quiz, go listen go to, to the that episode. episode. Listeners, I encourage you, write robot haikus. Uh, we want them, share them with us on Twitter or on uh, Facebook, email, send them to us. We'll find a way to release those out there. I really would actually love to hear people's haikus about TV, movie, just fiction robots. Um, I mean, unlike the real robots that are in our everyday lives. But you can go to hitmeonemoretime.com slash contact or on social media as we are hit me one more pod everywhere. And I just want to say those were great haikus, Dave. Thank you. Very, very well done. Yeah, I was impressed. 500 more points to Travis. Nick, negative 500 points. But I agreed. You're just copying (laughs) Travis at this point. Yeah, I mean, but still. My my plan is working. (laughs) (laughs) This is the part of the show where we have our moment of reflection. We asked, does this stay in the Hall of Memory or is it worth visiting today? Travis, you brought this here to us. What do you think? It is, as I mentioned, very much a time capsule. It is, it is a product of its time. If, if you don't have a nostalgic connection to it or you're not a fan of kind of older 80s films, it can stay in the Hall of Memory. Um, it, it, I have a connection to it and I love the movie, but I can absolutely see somebody not making that same type of connection, especially if you come to it you know, 30 years later and, and you didn't see it as a, as a small child. So because of some of the things that we outlined, not, not just the brown face and the bad East Indian uh, character, but the humor, um, even some of like the, the, the funny lines are funny, but like, you know, giving me the red ass, for instance, what, what does that even mean? Doesn't make any sense. And so, yeah, like I, I feel like, it's a very on the fence answer I know, but I feel like this could stay in the hall of memory unless you have that connection to it already. Um, you know, then, then it's worth watching again. Cause I think, I think that as, as something that is part of my childhood, it holds up for me mm-hmm. because I have that connection to it and I can see it through the lens of my eight year old self. I get so. that. I, I think that is very similar to a lot of people with Goonies. Um, I've mentioned on sure. the show before, like, I didn't see Goonies until I was 19. And like, while I appreciated some of the stuff that was going on, I just, I didn't have that nostalgic connection. So it's like, okay, I mean, that was like, that was fine. And I think mm-hmm. for this movie, um, you know, Travis, you said it very well. It has its issues. It's very much of its time. 
if you grew up with it, there's I can see that there's still that love for it, and it and it can bring you back to that time of when you were younger. Um, but for someone like me that saw it as an adult, I'm like, this movie is weird and goofy and like pretty dumb. And while I'm not going to disparage anybody for liking it, I'm also like not putting this on my rotation of favorite movies. Um, if it, as as was seen when you posted about it on Twitter, people who grew up with this movie like have a very strong connection to it and a very strong reaction and, and have a very big love for it. Um, but I think there's kind of a reason why this is not like, say, Jurassic Park that has endured and people still see Jurassic Park today. Like kids are still watching like Jurassic Park and still having like the same reaction, big love to it. It's it's stuck pretty much in its time. And if you caught it yeah. while it was in its time, I think it will have that place for you. But if you're coming to it fresh and new it's probably not going to be more than just like, okay, that's a goofy little eighties movie. Yeah. yeah I, it's, it's like, it's almost like the, the textbook cult classic mm. in that unless you're in that cult, you're not going to consider this movie much of a classic. You know, <laughs> right. if, if you, if it passed you by, if you didn't see it at the right age or at the right time, it just doesn't hit. And I get that. I completely get that, but I still love it. Nick, what do you think? It's all down to you. Now I'm just imagining like a, a cult where they like everyone bring your short circuit VHS tapes and you know here's some Kool Aid to drink. Uh, anyway, I, I'm similar to David in this respect. I hadn't seen the movie before. Very, very minor passing, you know, realization that it, it was something that existed at all. There were definitely parts about that I thought were like were quirky and cute or, or endearing or funny. Um, it's not something that I really see myself revisiting again, except for when I'm on a podcast about revisiting nostalgic stuff. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, yeah, the problematic stuff is totally problematic. And, and I think just with my modern brain, it, it it's just like harder to compute that stuff now. It, whereas maybe if I was like Travis, you know, be like, ah, yeah, that was, I'm not saying that Travis was saying this exactly like this, but just my nostalgia may have just been more forgiving of it if I had had an early experience with this. Mm -hmm. But now it's just, I think there's merit to the to the story of what they were trying to tell about humans reacting to, you know, artificial intelligence, like real sentience and how we would handle that. I think that's still a fun plot. And I think that the movie does have some fun with it and there were enjoyable set pieces. Yeah. But overall you know i could take it or leave it uh i think it's fine being in the past i think there is a scale of white guys playing roles of of non-white characters in movies that goes from fisher stevens in this movie who obviously did his best um you know tried to tried to have some authenticity perhaps uh and then you have mickey rooney in <laughs> breakfast at <laughs> tiffany's on the other side and uh but all in all it's just it's an it's a scale of unfortunateness but those are all <laughs> our opinions on it people if you want to share your opinions uh please do i mentioned all places you can reach out to us before travis thank you so much for being on the show today well thank you for having me i i have i always have a good time talking with you guys and getting to revisit something it's always fun. I, I'm I'm big on nostalgia. 
We like having you on. We definitely will again. In the meantime, though, where can people find you? Uh, so I'm TV's Travis, uh, pretty much every social platform, um, or TV's Travis.com is where you can find the, the feed for weight you haven't seen. There you go. Find it there. Nick, thanks for being here, man. Happy to, as always, David. Nick. <laughs> David. Where can people find input. you? Input. <laughs> input. Nick, Input. Input uh, my Instagram. I don't know. Anyway, you can find me on Instagram at palblamshazam underscore art uh, or on Twitter at palblamshazam. Check it out. If people want to find me, that is Davluz, D A V L U Z, Twitter and Instagram. Find me there. Again, the show's socials are hit me one more pod. You can follow us there and see all that we're up to and what we got coming up and if you are feeling so generous you can also support us on patreon and get some of our great bonus content and all that fun stuff listening audience thank you so much we do this show for you we do this show because of you remember you can't move forward if you're always looking back we'll see you next time hey!